Today, we have the third of Matthew's judgment parables. These judgment parables act as a precursor to the Advent season as we await the coming of the Christ child and the coming of the Son of Man. The first parable of the slave left in charge, which has a message for us regarding spiritual teaching, happened about two or three weeks ago. Unfortunately, we didn't read it here because we were celebrating all saints. In this parable, the disciples must be nourished spiritually by those in charge. As priests, I make a vow to teach, lead, and care for the members I serve, lest I end up in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, because that's what the prescription is. And believe me, all of your clergy are doing their best to avoid that one. Last week's parable of the ten bridesmaids, both foolish and wise, is a story about the responsibility of Jesus' followers to be ready for judgment whenever and wherever it may be. So trim your wicks and store up your oil for the heavenly banquet. Jesus is coming. For if you are not prepared, you will not be known by the Savior. The parable Jesus tells us today is about the obligations of Christ's followers who have been granted special gifts. As his followers, we believe that all we have in this life comes under the category of gift from God, and in response, we give back to God a portion of what we have been given. That's our Christian ethic. But God expects more than just taking what we are given and giving a portion back to him. He expects us to sow these gifts into the world and reap the benefits for his glory. In the parable today, Jesus uses the example of a talent to get your attention. A talent, if you remember, is described as equal to wages one might receive for 20 years of labor if you're a common worker in, Roman, in the Roman Empire. Clearly, this is an enormous sum of time and treasure. To be entrusted with the care of something of great value is a great honor. The first two slaves in this parable are savvy. They likely worked very hard, had good relationships in their dealings with others in order to double the master's wealth. Depending on the amount of time the master was absent, this was doable. For example, using the rule of 72 with our current interest rate on a certificate of deposit of 5%, Doubling five talents to 10 talents would take a little over 14 years. There was inherent risk, of course, with no government FDIC, so one would need to trust their banker. So, or perhaps the, the two people, the two slaves, um, invested in more like a, a venture capitalist with great risk but great reward. The parable states they went off at once to trade but the master, after a long time, came to settle the accounts, so one could never tell. When the master returns in this parable, the two are eager to tell him, Look here, I have made double the amount you entrusted to me. The master is well pleased with each one and showers praise on each. Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, enter in the joy of your master. 
So the relationship is now changed. The friends, there's a friendship, a camaraderie, perhaps a warmth, certainly respect between the master and the two slaves. The master gave them a job, trusting them that they would do as he expected. They did just that and are rewarded with greater regard and a deeper relationship filled with trust and joy. A future of greater reward is assured as the two are entrusted with even more responsibility. The slaves and the master benefit as do the people they are associated with. In this portion of the parable, we sense of lightness, a happiness, success, favor, expansion, and joy. Now, when we examine the third slave entrusted with only one talent, we see a different response by this slave. His words with the master are unlike those of the first two slaves. Having only been given one talent, a sense of poverty is cast on the actions of the master and the slave. The master only trusts him with one talent, not five, not even two, only one. But still he gives him the equivalent of a 20 years worth of wages, a true abundance for the slave to be trusted with. And what happens? The slave judges the master. He says the master is a harsh man, and the slave nearly accuses him of stealing as the master reaps and gathers where he did not put in any effort. And then the slave says he was afraid. So the master calls him out. He indicates to the slave that he knew how the master operated. The absolute least expected was to gain interest on the talent, and the slave was not obedient to the master. The slave was lazy, refusing to invest the gift given into relationships found within the community, as they represented, are represented by the banker, in order to gain some sort of reward for the master. Secondly, the slave squandered the time he had to grow the money. Instead, he buried it in a hole in the ground. The opportunity given the slave according to his ability was gone, and the time expired. So in judgment, the wicked and worthless slave is sent to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, far into the outer darkness, away from the joy of the master. Parables don't always follow expected outcomes. In fact, they rarely do. And they are tales that have their own economy. For something valuable to be buried for safekeeping is not an uncommon practice in the day. And it might even be considered prudent. We've heard this before in a brief parable of the hidden treasure earlier in the book of Matthew. But in this parable, hiding a talent in the ground is akin to hiding a light under a basket. The slave hid the gift of great worth so that it could not become greater when shared with others. See, the first two slaves had ideas of expansion and possibility, which you might call a growth mindset, with gifts they were entrusted with. And though it sounds as though the third slave is speaking truth to power when he says that the master reaps where he does not sow, that is not the master's job. Rather, it is our job. God gives us special gifts 
not to bury them in a hole in the ground for safekeeping so that we can give it back when we are called by our Lord to account for our lives. Nope, our job, no matter how much or how little given to us, and don't compare yourself with anybody else, is to increase the gifts we are given by sharing them with the world so that we all prosper. And by increasing these gifts, we enter further into the joy of a deeper and more fulfilling relationship with one another in the world and with our Lord Jesus. Several weeks ago, as I walked around the parish hall during the Christmas market, I saw so many talents and God-given gifts on full display. I saw people helping each other. I saw people organizing items. I saw people staging treasures to put them in their best light. I saw literally the fruits of labor in our wonderful canned goods and baked items made by parishioners. Hospitality shown to our vendors and volunteers. I saw people sitting hours on end in the heat taking payments for treasures found in the golden mouse and for raffles. I know there is so much more that was done that I did not see. I wish I was able to see it all. What I saw especially was happy work to support people in our community. Most importantly, the work that was done was done together for the glory of God. As God's stewards, we are expected to increase our gifts. Perhaps this week, you might take a few minutes to think about the gifts you were given. If you're not sure about your gifts, we have a quick inventory you can complete to help you discern those gifts, and I will be happy to help you with that. If you are aware of your gifts, imagine new ways to expand the reach of those gifts so that you may reap more for the kingdom of God. Dear Lord, let the splendor of your works shine brightly as the sun. May all God's goodness rest upon us and prosper what we have done.